All right, if you would take your Bible this evening and turn, first of all, to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. <clears throat> hardly know where to start tonight. I know you're saying start close to the end, but I have a couple passages of scripture we're going to look at. First Peter chapter 3, as we've been looking at the husband-wife relationship, and um, <clears throat> last week we looked at, uh, more particularly at the wife, 1 Peter 3 deals with both, again, as many passages in the Bible do. So I'm going to read down through verse 12. It says, likewise, and the word likewise is a connection word, a conjunction that takes you back to chapter 2. And the example for us, for you wives and for us husbands, is the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, if we want success in marriage, we have to have the same authority. That is, that is vital. If we have the same focus, the same authority, it helps us to come to the same conclusions. It brings unity. When you have the same person leading you, it creates. It creates. It's kind of automatic. It creates a unity that you don't have to, you don't have to uh, try and make it happen uh, It'll just happen if you're both seeking to follow the same authority. And that's, 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 that's what the likewise has taken us back into the example of Christ in chapter 2. But anyway, verse 1, Likewise, you wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wise. So, so like Christ was in subject, subjection to his father, wiser be in subjection to their husbands. While they be, verse 2, while they behold their chaste conversation coupled with fear, whose adorning let it not be that outward adorning of plaiting the hair and wearing of gold or putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart and that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. For after this manner in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husbands, even as Sarah bade Abraham, calling him Lord. That's, that's an example of reverence there. We find that in Ephesians chapter 5, where wife see that she reverence her husband. So, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are, as long as you do well, and are not afraid with any amazement. And here's another that word again, likewise. So, like Christ, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge. You know, Christ loves his church according to knowledge according to the Scriptures, according to, to use his wisdom, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Finally, be all, so he's addressing both, be all one mind, having compassion one of another, love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous, not rendering evil for evil. And of course, this would have to do with, you know, it would include any relationship. Not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrarywise blessing, knowing that you are thereunto called, that ye should inherit a blessing. 
For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and sue it. The eyes of the, for the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open unto their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. So, <clears throat> kind, of looking, kind of looking at you know, living in harmony in the home. Let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity and privilege we have to open your precious word. We thank you for the counsel that we have uh, through the word of God. There's a multitude of counselors in the Bible. And, you know, the apostles and prophets and built upon the foundation, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So, and Father, we see examples and testimonies of those who obeyed you, those who kept your commandments, and we see examples and testimonies of those who did not. And so, Lord, we pray that you help us to learn from these examples, to beware and to be wise, and to have wisdom in, this, in our homes, that they might glorify you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> It's a book I was directed to some time ago. It's called Marriage Takes More Than Love. And in page 48, it gives the, the, the authors, it's the husband and wife that wrote it, uh, <clears throat> tells the, 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 the key to the success of marriage. And it says this, quote, The success of marriage comes not in finding the right person but in the ability of both partners to adjust to the real partner, a real person, they inevitably realize they married. Some people will never make this adjustment, becoming trapped in an endless search after an image that doesn't exist. Unquote. You know, like marriage is an adjustment. It's learning to live with someone else that's different than you. I mean, you think about it. You've taken two different people from two different homes where they did things differently and you're putting them together in one house. And, 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 and they're to come together, as the Bible describes it, as one flesh. You know, it's, it's an intimate relationship. The, the, the heights of which... There is no other human relationships higher than this. And, and so the importance is to learn to live, and of course with those, and live in harmony, and, and uh, learning to live with that person, and being the kind of person that pleases and honors the Lord. Uh, of course, the Bible tells us here that, you know, when, when we looked at this last week, that, that the wives are submit themselves unto their own husbands, and, you know, to reverence their husbands. Uh, husbands are to love their wives. And the Bible here tells, them, tells us, husbands, to dwell with them according to knowledge. And, you know, we mentioned that, that you know, women aren't less important than men are. Women aren't less intelligent than men are. It's just we have different roles that God has given us. Um, and I and I never really thought of this before, but in Colossians chapter three, Pastor Bobby Mitchell preached extensively from the first part of this chapter and some from even the last part of the chapter as well. But there's there's a, there's a statement here that I thought was fitting as we think about this in Colossians three ten. It says, "And have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge 
there's that word knowledge, and we're to dwell with our wives according to knowledge. Renew the knowledge after the image of him that created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, skithing, bond or free, but Christ is all and in all. In other words, it doesn't matter whether you're a, a Greek or a Jew, whether you're circumcised or not circumcised. It doesn't matter whether you're a barbarian or a Scythian. You know, you know, it doesn't matter whether you're a free man or a slave. You're equal in the sight of God. You're equal in the sight of God. And I would further add to that whether you're a man or a woman. Because this is all inclusive. He's talking about all inclusive beings here. You know, we're all equal in the sight of God. And so it's not the idea that one is more important than the other. Uh, but he gives us here, Peter gives us some things that uh, we need in our homes to make a home a place of harmony. Uh, for he tells us in verse 7, we dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, as being heirs together the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Now, it calls the wife a weaker vessel. She is she is weaker physically. Uh, usually women usually I said usually usually women are weaker emotionally. They're more emotional, more guided by their emotions, by their heart. And and really, really, if you really examine that closely, that they do you know a, a man and woman can complement each other in that. You know some some of us men are so. Uh, Unemotional, we're like stones, you know, and uh, and, and and you know, so that, so we can the wife can compliment her husband that and have a little compassion and concern and care, but uh, uh, so so we're different, and the wife is a weaker, and, and and he is to dwell with her according to knowledge, and it, and then he goes and he says that so your prayers be not hindered, you know, this is this is the shows the vitality of this dwelling together according to knowledge because it can hinder your relationship with the Lord. And then he says, finally, be you all of one mind. Uh, <clears throat> there needs to be unity. And there can be that unity, again, if we, have, if we agree on the same authority. You know, if, if, you, if you're reading the same Bible... If you're praying to the same God, if you're going to the same church, listening to the same Sunday school teacher, listening to the same preacher or pastor, it's going to help you immensely to have the same mind. Now, we have to understand also, men and women look at things differently. They view things differently. Sometimes that's a little hard for us men to figure out. Because, well, you know, and, and, and there are different personalities uh, that sometimes cause conflicts. You know, there are, there are, you know, how we make decisions, how we make decisions is different. Again, in this book, Marriage Takes More Than Love, in page 49,
verse 49, you know, it's a husband and wife wrote this, and, and, uh, and, 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 and they're saying, you know, he is logical, analytical, objective, cool. He bases decisions on what is right. Now, and she says, now, I want what is right too, but in some cases, the higher priority is how will it affect people. So again, so what, is, what comes into play there, if I'm worried about how it affects people, that's an emotional response. That's not just principle, what is right. You know, we, could, we often say, give me the cold, hard facts, but you know, sometimes the facts can just be that, cold. And come across as uncaring. What does the Bible say we're supposed to be, how we're supposed to speak the truth? In love. In love. See, our wives and the world needs to know that though we will give them the truth, we care. We love them. Um, you know, it isn't, it isn't that he didn't want to be kind and gentle, but it's principle, truth. Uh, so, so, you know, and that's what it says here in verse 8. Having compassion one another, love us, brethren, be pitiful, be courteous. courteous. So well, there needs to be, we need to be sympathetic, having compassion, and, you know, caring about the feelings of others, but not allow those feelings to determine what is right and what is wrong. We must stand with what is right. But we need to stand with compassion. When Jude wrote his epistle, and you know, Jude has some scathing, you might say, judgments in it. In fact, Enoch. It says of Enoch in Jude 14, Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord would come with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. You know, that's a, that's a, that's a very strong statement of truth. But Jude goes on here and says in verse 21, keep yourselves in the love of God looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life and of some have compassion, making a difference. Making a difference. So, so there needs to be compassion one for another. We need to speak the truth in love. Uh, speaking the truth in love. He says we need to be pitiful. The word pitiful means, again, tender-hearted. Uh, you know, Speaks of kindness. You know, all these things are, are similar. There's also the word courteous there in that verse, which means friendly and kind. Uh, again, go over to, go over to uh, Colossians. You might want to keep your place there because I'm going to go back and forth there a couple times. Colossians chapter 3. And verse 10. I'm not sorry. Um, yeah. <clears throat> Actually, verse 12. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, 
bowels of mercies. Now, when you think about your bowels, that's something deep. comes from deep within you. It's talking about your inner man. So, bowels of mercies. Kindness. And out of that bowels comes kindness. Humbleness of mind. Meekness. Long-suffering. Forbearing one another. And forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And, and so we're to be forbearing one another. You know, if we're forbearing one another, it, it means we, we, don't, we don't pick each other apart. Criticize every little aspect. You know, one of the, one of the problems of personality differences sometimes in marriage that can conflict, cause conflicts is a perfectionist and a non-perfectionist. You know, I guess I'd have to admit I'm a perfectionist. I mean, all the pictures in the house have to be straight. They need to be centered. I sit down to the table, I put my silverware where I want it. You know, I'm a perfectionist. But you know what the, the amusing thing is? My desk is sloppy. But I know where everything is, so don't move it. You know, a perfectionist. But a perfectionist can be highly critical. Um, page 67 of this book, he describes a perfectionist and non-perfectionist. Perfectionists, they do things like, no, I don't do this, but, you know, anyway, like this. Use two napkins for meals, a cloth one for the lap and a paper one to wipe their hands on. They keep separate dish towels for glassware and dishes and pants. This is more talking about women. Hanging shirts or blouses by sleeve length, color-coordinated, forward-facing hangers all in one direction. You know, I do that. I have my hangers all in one direction. And my shoes have an order. On the shelf, and I put my my work boots and my tennis shoes in the same place every day. I take them off. You know, there's a place for everything. You know, even in the work truck, I hate it when things are not in the place they're supposed to be. There's a place for my plumbing box. There's a place for the electrical box. There's a place for the for the the tools like crowbars and things like that. There's a box where they're supposed to be in. You know, everything's in, in boxes. You know, I worked with another guy for a while, and, and he had a toolbox on his truck, and, and he, he hated boxes. He, you know, I, all my tools that I buy that have a plastic box, I still have the plastic box, and it's in the plastic box in a certain place in the truck. I'm a perfectionist. I know. I mean, the toilet paper has a certain way it's put on the roller. Now, is that right or wrong? No. But you know, it can cause conflicts in a home. It can cause conflicts in a home. I heard Chuck Coffey say one time that he was—he knew a man that got—he got so mad at his wife because. Every time she'd put a new roll of toilet paper on, it would come out this way and not this way. 
He said, he said, it happened one day and I got so angry at her. He said, finally, the Lord said to me, well, maybe I'll just take her. He said, I finally woke up. Realized what a fool I was being. Of course, you know, non-perfectionists, um, they rush through tasks so fast they have to be done over, it has to be done over again, and sometimes again and again. They drop things, spill things, break things because they're in such a hurry. Settle for just getting things done rather than getting them done right. Whether it's washing the car, hanging wallpaper, or weeding the garden. You know. Words describing a perfectionist are correct, precise, orderly, neat, careful. Now, this isn't too much of a problem in my home, I don't think, because my wife has some of this perfectionist in her, too. It's just been difficult for the kids sometimes. <laughs> now, a non-perfectionist uses phrases like, oh, just let it go. Just let it go. Never mind, it's okay, don't worry. You know, that's, that's the kind of thing. Uh, so there's these, and again, is one right or one wrong? No, not necessarily. It's not a right or wrong thing. It's a learning to live. And by the way, a perfectionist and a non-perfectionist can greatly complement each other. Two perfectionists sometimes like to kill each other. Um, you have the problem of introvert and extrovert. Uh, you know, and he says in, his, in this book, Quote, introverts get a bad press in the United States. When one hears the word introvert, a picture comes to mind of a person who doesn't like to be with people, who is solitary, reclusive, unsociable, and silent. Of most introverts, not true. Uh, an introvert, quote, a quote, an introvert is simply a person who is energized or draws strength from internal sources and experience. He or she is one who reflects and then maybe acts. An extrovert, on the other hand, is one who is energized and draws strength from external sources, from other people and external experiences, one who acts, then maybe reflects, unquote. So an introvert doesn't like to be around crowds of people much. An extrovert, that's what they thrive on. They thrive on it. You know, to an introvert, a crowd of people can wear you out. Just get tired of it. You know, like wedding receptions. Let's just go home. <laughs> yeah, too many people. But not an, not an extrovert. You know, they like all that. And again, these are things we have to learn to live. We have to be tender-hearted. We have to be courteous, friendly, going out of our way not trying to make people exactly like we are and understanding their needs and their desires. So we need to be pitiful and courteous. Uh, he gives some what-nots here too. Not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing. Verse 9, But contrarywise blessing, knowing that ye are thereunto called, that ye should inherit a blessing. So we are not to react to what others 
say or do. We're not to be reactionary. Uh, you know, evil evil speaks of being injurious of another, whether it's you know physically hurting or injuring uh, someone's emotions or hurting their feelings or offending them. Uh, we are not to react in that way. Uh, and go, again, go back to Colossians chapter three, and you know these things are of course addressed to the church at Colossae, but they are so true in a marriage, in any relationship, whether it's a marriage or friendship. Uh, in verse uh, uh, eight, but now ye also put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing you have put off the old man with his deeds. So, you know, these, these are things that, that may be reactionary or speaking evil or injurious uh, or, or uh, uh, to hurt. And, you know, Pastor Mitchell, he, he did some detail on this verse, and, he, and, and I never heard this before, but he likened this anger, wrath, and malice, these three as kind of one thing. He said, now anger... Anger is like your pot on the stove with water in it that's boiling and the steam is coming off. The wrath is the flame underneath that's heating the water. The malice is the propane in the fuel tank that's feeding the flame. Now malice has to do with ill will. Lord, you have ill intentions. You want to hurt somebody. Wrath is is uh, 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 to be angry, and of course, anger is is again uh, vocalizing that wrath. That's that's kind of how he he described it. But, you know, we can we can, and he described it. You know, we can be out in the workplace, or a wife can be at home, and and things are not going right, or things are you know rubbing you the wrong way, and you become filled with with malice. And, and, and wrath, and you get home, and again, you're met with something that's not as you want it, and it causes you to boil over. Come out with your anger. And he tells us, Be neat, but now you also put off all these anger, wrath, malice. And he said these things can cause us to blaspheme. You know, we think often we think of blaspheme that has to do with our relationship with God. It simply means to speak against. To speak against. It can cause you to, you know, anger, wrath, and malice can cause you to speak against the one you love the most. Filthy communication. Again, just can be hurtful, unkind, or untrue things. You know, there are some things that we ought not to say in our relationship. Well, you always, or you never. You know, it's hard to learn not to say those kind of things. That can be hurtful communication. And he says that. You know, we're to put it off, all this kind of communication. Put it out of your mouth. 
There, there are several rules that the Bible gives us as we think about communication. And Proverbs 12.6 says, A fool's wrath is presently known, but a prudent man covers shame. And the word cover of shame there means he stays cool when he's insulted. You know, when, when, when I'm insulted, you know what the first thing I want to do is? <laughs> I want to I I you know, address this. I want to you know, lash out. But the Bible says, you know, we read in Peter, not to speak evil or railing for railing. You know, Jesus said if you're insulted, you know, if a man smites you on the left cheek, Turn to him the right also. And the idea is there, if you're insulted, take it. Take it. It has nothing to do with uh, uh, whether you need to protect yourself. It's the idea of being insulted. That's, that's the, the, the idea there when he says, if a man smites you on the left, turn to him the right also. And so, so uh, we're, to, we're to stay cool and, we're work at, and allow the Spirit of God to work in our lives that we stay cool when we are insulted. Proverbs 15.1, a soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. A soft answer. Don't answer anger with anger. Yes, some people have this idea, well, you have to answer fire with fire. No, you don't. You don't. <clears throat> Proverbs 13.3 He that keepeth his mouth keepeth his life, but he that openeth wide his lips shall have destruction. In other words, control your tongue. A, co- a quick retort can ruin everything. In other words, think about what you say before you say it. Proverbs 15.2 says, The tongue of the wise useth knowledge of right, but the mouth of fools poureth out foolishness. So we, we, we need to think for what we say. You know, the Bible is full of references like this. James tells us, James 1.19, we're to be swift to hear and slow to speak. Another is put away pride. Proverbs 13.10, only by pride cometh the contention, but wealth a what? With the well advised is wisdom. So, you know, Peter tells us we're not to we're not to render evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrary wise, we're just to do the opposite. We're to render blessing. We're to render blessing. You remember in Matthew chapter five, Jesus said, If you love them that love you, what reward have ye? So even the publicans do so. But if you're gonna be like your father, you're gonna love your enemies. You're going to pray for them which curse you and despitefully use you. That you be, may be like your father, which is him. You don't, and again, that's the same idea here. Is you don't render evil for evil or railing for railing. But contrary-wise, blessing. And that goes against our human nature, doesn't it? So we have to be careful what we say. I think it was... Uh, Francis Havergale, that said, he who angers you controls you. And if you make bad decisions based on how others treat you, they are controlling you. You see, we need need to learn that we make decisions based on what is right 
not by what somebody else does to us. You know, you look at the world today, look at our culture, what are they doing? They're basing their decision on what other people do, not on what is right. What is right? So, we're not to speak reproachfully. You know, somebody called this horse sense. It goes like this little poem, quote, A horse can't pull while kicking. This fact I merely mention. And he can't kick while pulling, which is my chief contention. Let's imitate the good old horse and lead a life that's fitting. Just pull an honest load, and then there'll be no time for kicking. Unquote. So we're, we're, to, we're to just to do what's right. The idea is we do what's right. The horse, if he's doing what he's supposed to be doing, he doesn't have time to kick. He can't kick when he's pulling a load. And if we're walking with the Lord and being obedient to Him, we will not be rendering evil for evil or railing for railing. But as the Bible says here, Blessing for blessing. Verse 10 says, For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips to speak no guile. In other words, and of course, that refers to a controlling of our tongue. And speaking no guile means to have not any deceit or not to uh, use words to manipulate uh, crafty, uh, or have an agenda. No doubt. Say what we mean and mean what we say. And we are not to assume. You know, sometimes, sometimes difficulties arise in, in marriages, again, because of the difference of men and women and the difference of the home you grew up in. Now, in our home... You know, we tended to be kind of loud. My kids are laughing at me. Not in, I'm not saying our home, but in my home growing up. We would talk loudly to each other, and it was no big deal. We didn't consider that offensive. Now, one of the problems I've had with that is, you know, if I talk to my wife in a certain way, she'll think I'm mad at her. And in this book that I was telling you about, the wife tells the story of her husband looking for the car keys and he said to her, where's my keys? And she said, in the drawer. He said, no, they're your keys. And she said, no, they are your keys. So he got the keys out of the drawer, said thank you, and went off. And a lady that was there staying with him a few days said to her, if my husband talked to me like that, I'd think he was angry. And she said, well, is he? And she said, I don't know. She never asked him. So because she never asked him, she just assumed that if he talked like her husband did to her, he was angry. 
But he wasn't angry with her. He's just matter of fact. He's a this guy's a perfectionist. He's a logical person. You know, everything has its place. And, all, you know, and that's just the way he talks. She understands that. She knows he's not angry at her. But see, sometimes we can assume things, and of course, we have to be careful of our tones at times too, but we can assume things. Again, a lot of it has to do with they grew up in a different home environment where things were looked at differently than they were in yours. And it can create conflict. So we have to be careful, and we speak no guile. We have to mean what we say. Don't have any decoys. Uh, you know, it, it, and she said, you know, he could be angry, but it could be because he stubbed his toe on the way in to find the keys. You know, what had anything to do with her? Now, Verse 11 says, let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. Now, as we think about, you know, eschewing evil means to avoid it, to flee from, to waste, to stay away from. You know, and, and, and as we think about eschewing evil and doing good and seeking peace and ensue it, that the word ensue it means that we have to really press or pursue it. We have to press forward for it. We have to make an honest effort. And I, and I think we could say here, honestly, look, we ought to be giving people the benefit of the doubt. For example, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians 13. Try and make my point here. First Corinthians thirteen says, verse seven, beareth all things. We're talking about charity, or, or the 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 love of that is of God. Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. So, the idea here of believeth all things doesn't look for ill motives. It believes what is presented or said. Believes the best. You know, as it says here, seek peace. Think the best. Don't think ill of each other. You know, like the lady who said to her friend, was your husband mad at you? So she's she's thinking this in her mind because of the maybe the, the the tone of voice that maybe she wasn't used to maybe was never used in her house growing up. She's thinking he sounds like he's angry. And of course, this can be the other way as well: uh, a husband thinking ill of his wife. And so we have to work at it. You know, like I say, if there's two sinners in the same house, there's going to be disagreements. But we need to give each other the benefit of the doubt and seek the best, believe the best of each other. You have to go back to this conclusion. Hey, he loves me. I love him. And, 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 or, you know, he loves me. 
and she loves me, think the best of the one that loves you. Don't think the worst. You know, again, this is part of the problem out in the world. They, everybody thinks the police is out to get them. No, the police is there to protect us, to serve us. They are public servants. That's what they are. They're out for our best. Oh, sure, there's bad police. Just like there's bad people in every other profession in life. But the vast majority of the police are out for our best, for our protection. And we need to think that of them unless it's proven otherwise. And the same is true in our marriages, in our homes. We need to seek peace and sue it. Again, that means to pursue it, to press forward in it, to, to, uh, to, 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 uh, uh, to, to run after it, to strive for it, you might say. And then in verse 12, he says this, For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and His ears are open unto their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. So we have a heavenly Father watching over us, and we need to allow Him to. And we need to realize that, you know, He's going to judge us for how we conduct ourselves in our relationships. And so we need to we need to to have the mind of Christ. And I go back to verse one and verse seven to the word likewise. And with that, we'll go back to chapter 2. Go back to chapter 2. Verse 15. Let's start at verse 12. Having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by good your good works. Here, again, you're not answering them the way they treat you. And he says, this is the way we're to treat one another. They speak evil against you. They may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. You know, when you respond in the right way to your wife or your husband, you know what it often does? It, it, it diffuses the conflict. It diffuses it. It kind of puts the fire out. And that's what we need to learn. We learn to put the fires out. And that's what he's referring to here. Uh, verse 16. As free, not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God, honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear. Not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward. So, you know, again, whether they're good or whether they're froward, what froward means stubborn, you know, uh, wrongfully stubborn. For this is thankworthy if a man, for conscience' sake, toward God, endure grief, suffering wrongfully. For what glory is it if when you be buffeted for your faults, ye shall take it patiently? But if when you do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. So when you're insulted, bear it. Suffer it. One of the verses I said was, 
You know, a prudent man covers shame. He stays cool when he's insulted. He doesn't insult. He doesn't return with insult. And then verse 21. Here's the likewise. For even Christ hereunto were ye called, because Christ also first suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps. Who did no sin, neither was God found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree, we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. So, so we, need to ha- we need to, in our marriages, be like Christ. Again, if God is our authority, if the Word of God is our authority, and, we, and we're coming to the same church, listening to the same preaching, it will greatly help us to come to the same conclusions. But we need to be understanding of each other because sometimes we look at the same conclusions from different perspectives with different personalities. And so, we are to complement each other, help one another, but come to the right conclusions to live in harmony in the home. You know, the home is the, is the example God gives of the relationship of Christ and His church. The same principles that govern the church govern the home. That direct the church should direct the home. The wife is in subjection to her husband. The church is in subjection to Christ. And Christ loved the church and the husband loves his wife. And so, might the Lord help us to have homes that seek to honor Him and live in harmony. And have harmony that it may bring glory to the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly